He said, you become. It takes a long time. That's why it doesn't happen often to people who break easily or have sharp edges or who have to be carefully kept. Generally, by the time you are real, most of your hair has been loved off and your eyes drop out and you get loose in the joints and very shabby. But these things don't matter at all because once you are real, you can't be ugly except to people who don't understand. Marjorie Williams, The Velveteen Rabbit Welcome back. Episode three. (laughs) I am currently, let me just paint a picture for you real quick. So I'm currently in my car because that's where I record all of my episodes. Um, it is currently 85 degrees outside and anybody who has lived in Texas before knows that 85 degrees in Texas is actually 120 anywhere else. So it's so hot outside. Thankfully, my car is, like, really tinted, so it doesn't get as hot in here, but it still gets kind of hot. Unfortunately, for my sake, I can't run the AC very loud because it'll pick up on the mic. So I have it on the lowest setting possible, and I think you can still kind of hear it anyways. Oh, well, I guess because I gotta get things done. So, yeah, it's, it's pretty hot. I'm going to be sweating in here for about an hour and a half talking to myself. I normally, okay, so normally I record it at night after the sun has gone down and when it gets somewhat cooler in Texas, but I have been procrastinating this so badly and you would think it would be the exact opposite. You would think that I would like be on top of it 24-7 trying to record and write these episodes, but... I don't know. For some reason, I just, like, got really burned out, so I have not picked up the microphone for about, like, almost a month. I recorded my first two episodes, and then I just had kind of, like, a breakdown. I had this breakdown when I didn't want to do anything. I got really overwhelmed even just thinking about it, but then I got even more overwhelmed because I was like, no, I have to do this. I have to get it done, and then I just pretty much had to give myself permission to stop for a minute because it was just becoming too much for me to handle, too much on my plate, even though I love it. Like, it gives me such a, I don't even know, like, confidence and self-esteem to be able to do these things. So whenever I can't do them, I get really down on myself. But I told myself that if I wasn't doing it because I loved it, not because I had to, then I needed to stop. So I had all of this stuff figured out. I had a 
hosting site and everything. And then I was like, okay, well, I guess I can't do it anymore. And I was like, I don't know when I'm going to pick it back up again. And I don't know if I will. But thankfully, I I did. I think I figured out a system that will work for me. But anywho, that's my little rant about how my mental health has been over the last month. How are you? How are you doing? Great. I I honestly hope that whoever's listening, I hope you're doing good. Hope that oh god, this whole quarantine thing, I just want it to be over already. Like I I understand why we're doing it and I am following following the rules 100%, but I think everybody can agree that we wish it would kind of just be over already. Like I wish that they tomorrow morning they I will get on Twitter and look at the news cuz that's where I get my news. I hope that I get on Twitter and it's like surprise everything is over you can go back outside now you can go hang out with your friends you can travel like wouldn't that be just so nice if that's how that happened it just one day you get on it's like just kidding we um it's all safe now it's all good enjoy your summer (laughs) yeah no probably not um okay as you can tell from the title of this episode i'm talking about friendship today One of the most embarrassing qualities I think I've ever found in myself was my ability to shapeshift. I've been someone who was constantly, like, forming and then reforming themselves to fit whatever mold I need to at the time. I was really good at doing this with people, especially. I made sure I was always molding myself into who I thought they wanted me to be or who I thought they preferred me to be. I did this so that I didn't fuck up or scare someone away. I didn't want to make any mistakes. But sometimes we make mistakes. It's unavoidable. You know those mess-ups where you immediately look back and think, "Mm, not my greatest choice. (laughs) Yeah, we, we do a lot of that. I know that I especially do a lot of that. As human beings, we're always making mistakes, but sometimes it takes a lot of mistakes to even realize that you're doing something wrong. I've had plenty of instances where I've made the same mistake six different times before I came to my senses. It's like the universe was just like, all right, since you didn't hear it the first time, here it is again. Oh, you didn't hear it again? Well, here it is again. And again? All right, here it is again. (laughs) Like... Life comes and slaps you in the face sometimes and knocks you out cold to be able to finally understand what you're doing wrong. So today, let's talk about friendship. One of the most beautiful connections we have on this earth. Growing up, I had solid groups of friends. They were the kind of friends you had giant sleepovers with and then laughed with about nonsense until four in the morning. You know, (laughs) the kind of friend groups that your parents hate to have over them again. Can't you just like narrow it down to five girls to stay the night this time? No, parents. I can't just exclude the rest of them. They never seem to understand that. Mainly though, I always had one best friend who I did everything with. I held them to a higher degree than anyone else. And I've always been like this, even from, like, kindergarten. You stick me with one good friend, and I'll be good to go. My parents, however, 
didn't see it in that same light. They kind of... And, okay, it wasn't kind of. They thought that I was obsessed with this friend. And to be fair, I was. I I hate using the term obsessed, really, because it, like... Okay, it was. It was pretty much... I was obsessed. And it wasn't just friends, though. I was always good to go with just one thing. I don't... Okay, yes, we're gonna go with obsession. I don't know why I'm so scared of that word. I don't like to use it. But I'd make my mom replay the same VHS tape of Barney's Great Adventure over and over and over again. I wouldn't watch anything else, anything. I ended up breaking the tape from watching it so much. I went through the same phase with Elmo and Dragon Tales. It was all I wanted to watch, and then I grew out of it. The Sound of Music, same thing, on repeat, and then I grew out of it. You might think, oh, that's normal for little kids. I got to the point of really not being able to do anything else other than my current fixation or obsession, whatever you want to call it. This started to evolve once I started going to school and making friends. I became obsessed. I became obsessed with one friend. I didn't want to do anything but hang out with them. I couldn't do anything but talk about them. It probably trickles back to just severe abandonment problems from a really young age and having these attachment issues to anything and everything I consider to be a constant. If I watched the same movie over and over and over again, I knew what to expect. I knew what was coming. I knew I could count on the guy getting the girl, or Maria would sing that song at that time and it would be specific and I'd know and I would feel a sense of control over it because it wasn't going to, like, the sound of music wasn't going to suddenly turn into Halloween on me. Like, I knew I could count on it and that's really sad, but that's just how it was. (laughs) I thought that I could do the same thing with friendship, but... As my childhood friendships outgrew themselves, you know, the way that childhood friendships tend to do, I always felt as if I had been abandoned all over again by my friends. I would cry and cry and cry in my room at night because my friends weren't answering my Yahoo Messenger messages anymore. My line of friendships have been me and my obsessions and then being completely heartbroken when our friendships faded away. (sighs) we're really about to expose me on this episode. (laughs) I can't tell if the heat from outside is making my internal body temperature shoot up or if it's because I'm nervous. It works out, though, because, you know, if I ever decided to run for president, there won't be anything that anyone can pull on me. I'm showing you all of my dirt. Here, take it. No one has anything to hold above me anymore because I'm exposing myself. All of my mistakes are in this podcast. (sighs) Towards the end of my time living with my dad, which was probably the worst time of being abused, I made a friend who became so much more than a friend to me. For legal purposes, they will only be referred to as this person. Our friendship felt strong when it started out. We had similar interests, we loved the same movies, we laughed at a lot of the same jokes, you know, all of the things that draw you into a friend. We clicked immediately. Our lives and upbringings were on complete opposite sides of the spectrum, which I think is what was so appealing to us about each other. 
We became inseparable. We did everything together like a dynamic duo. The first year of our friendship was fun and uplifting. As time progressed, though, things started to go downhill. This person was the first to enter my life while I contemplated leaving my dad's house. This person took care of me when I had bruises to heal and a broken wrist. This person took me in when I felt like I had nowhere to go. We had arguments and, you know, speed bumps in our friendship, like all do, but anytime I had a need, this person got just disgusted with me. How dare you state your needs when I saved you from your abusive dad? You wouldn't have anything if it weren't for me. And I believed them. After some time, it started to seem like this person didn't want me to be anything other than a service to them. In times that were good, I felt like they really, really loved me, but times were not always good with us. It was like, as soon as I left my dad's house, I fell into a different kind of abuse and narcissistic manipulation. And everyone around me saw the mistake I was about to make before I made it. My friends that I had left to be with only this person. My mom. My sister. Everyone. But did I listen? No. No, of course not. Why would I have listened? I was desperate and aching to be loved by someone, and it was almost like it didn't matter how that love showed itself. I would have taken the absolute scraps of love that someone threw away in a dumpster. Inside, I was screaming, love me, someone please love me. And this person happened to be the only one who heard it. I pushed everyone away just to be with them, 24-7. Nothing else mattered but spending time with them, being with them. They only allowed me to be friends with them and only them. I did whatever I could to make this person happy because if they were happy, in my mind, they would stick around. I thought that if I sacrificed everything for them, they wouldn't leave me. They'd say to me, I'm the only one here. What are you going to do without me? I thought that this person would want me and love me because of what I did for them. This feeling of, I need to keep this person in my life, turned me into a monster to just about everyone I came into contact with. Everyone. Like, everything in the world can be put on the back burner so that I can keep them in my life forever. I told myself, they'll change. They're only being this way because, because I made them mad, because I did something wrong. Tomorrow I won't, I won't mess up and they'll be nice to me again. They weren't going to change, Taylor. You're not capable of changing someone. I did anything they wanted me to do, even the things that I didn't want to do. When I was around this person, I had an endless supply of drugs and alcohol. I could pretty much find whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted. Booze? Got it. Pills? Got it. 
I started smoking cigarettes like a freight train. I wasn't old enough at the time to buy them myself, so friends or family members would buy them for us. I still remember, too. Marlboro Blacks. I I can't ever pronounce that correctly. Marlboro. Mar- Marlboro. Marlboro. Mar- Marlboro. Marlboro Black. <laughs> no, that's not right. Great. Okay, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> no, it's not gonna happen. When they weren't around to buy them for me, I would steal cigarettes from my mom's purse, <laughs> thinking she was oblivious to it. It was not smart planning on my end. I didn't really think it through. <laughs> she would have had a brand new unopened pack sitting on the table and I'd go and I'd open it and take four cigarettes and thought that she didn't know that I was stealing her cigarettes. <laughs> of course she knew I was doing it. This one night we were sitting on our back porch and she took out her um, pack of cigarettes and actually offered me one. Do you want one? Since I already know you smoke. But of course I denied. I told her she was crazy for thinking so. I would never. Are you kidding? You have, you have no idea what you're talking about. Master gaslighter right there. That apple just doesn't fall far from the paternal tree. <laughs> My mom actually told me recently that she always knew that I had been smoking. I didn't fool her one bit. She knew. My sister knew. My brother knew. Everybody who lived in the house knew. I would steal her cigarettes and ask to, like, take her car around the block since I didn't have my license yet, but she would let me... She would let me get in her car and drive it around sometimes. So I'd go and go and steal them, and then I'd get in her car and drive around and come back. I'd smell like smoke. Her cigarettes would be gone. Her lighter would be missing. <laughs> like, how stupid was I? Like, why did I think that was going to work? Anyways... This person and I did it all. All the drugs, all the drinking. They didn't have an issue with it. They could take a few painkillers for, like, a headache without needing to down a few more. They could drink a few sips from a bottle and then dump it down the sink and not have to chug the rest. I soon started to realize that I had a problem and it was getting out of control. This person told me that addiction didn't exist. I was making it up in my head. Their offered solution? Just stop. If you can't handle it, then just stop. I realize now that it doesn't work that way. You can't just stop. While hopped up on painkillers, um, hydros, I really liked those. Um, Vicodin, if you'd like to sponsor me, <laughs> I really used your product a lot back in the day. It was, we were like best friends. <laughs> God, I'm gonna get kicked off. Um, those were my painkillers of choice. Just not that I'm saying that anybody should go out and go try to find them. But like, anyways, oh my God, I need to shut the fuck up. Okay. I'm so sorry. <laughs> okay. But I would down a bunch of painkillers to numb myself out to the point that I kind of was just floating through my days, just like completely numb, completely dazed out. This is when another addiction came into play, which is, surprisingly, shoplifting. This was probably one of the most dangerous addictions I had because we were so careless about it. It always starts small, you know? 
This would easily fit into our bag and no one would even notice. See that bracelet over there? Take it. Those jeans? Take them. Rip off that price tag, take that perfume. It was our way of getting a sober high. A high of adrenaline. A high that we didn't have to smoke to get. It was also a way of not having to spend money, but, you know, the adrenaline. (laughs) After you sneak out of a store with a purse full of, like, jewelry, you feel like you can run a 15-hour marathon. I felt like I could do anything after walking out of a store with a bag full of stolen things. The more we stole, the higher we felt. And we would take inventory, like, okay, so you got that necklace, and I got this thing, and that is this much, and that's this much. Oh, we only stole $25 worth of stuff. It's not that bad. But as time went on, that inventory started getting higher and higher and higher. It'd go from 25 to 30, and then from 30 to 60. And then we'd be like, oh, well, it's not really that bad. And then it would jump up to 100. I can and will get addicted to anything, and this proves that. We were on a roll pretty much. We had figured out all the little tricks and tips of how to be able to steal without getting caught or how to take off one of those little, what are they, like the beepers that they have like attached to your clothes. We figured out how to take those off. We we were mastermind shoplifters. One day we were doing our usual stroll through the mall. We went to our favorite lingerie store. It was like the hot topic of lingerie stores. So they Everything is black in there. All the walls are black. The floors are black. The lights are so dim that you can barely see where you're going in there. That day, there was only one woman working the counter. And she seemed, like, hungover or sleepy or too preoccupied with scrolling through her phone to even say hello to us as we walked in. Instantly, instantly, and without even speaking a word to each other, like almost telepathically, we just started taking things. We tried to play it off like, oh, we were just browsing the clearance section, and we were only in there for maybe five minutes. And then we walked out the front, and then the alarms went off. I remember feeling my heart just drop into the pit of my stomach, like watching my life flash before my eyes. What have I done? I'm going to jail. I can't. I can't get arrested. What have I done? The lady behind the counter, who just so happened to be the manager, started screaming at us. Are you fucking kidding me? No, no, get the fuck back here. I knew you weren't just back there for no reason. Don't steal shit in my store. Your asses are going to jail. She made us dump everything out right there. I watched all of the merchandise fall out of my purse. My wallet fell out. My headphones, my wrapped tampons and peppermints. I was crying. Not even that pitiful, please don't call the cops, crying. I was full-on, painkiller-induced, hysterically crying on the floor. This was it. I had OD'd on shoplifting and would go to jail and forever pay the price. I kept imagining what jail would be like and how much my mom would cry seeing me through a glass window like that. I cannot believe I'm telling this story right now. I still feel like, like someone is going to come bust down my door and take me to jail for something that happened years ago. Like, I'm afraid they're going to come knock on my, they're going to be like, on my car door, my Ellen car, they're going to be like, 
hey, I know you went to Ellen and you changed your life, but like, you got to go to jail now because you just confessed that. <laughs> but the mall security let us off with only a warning. We should have been ticketed at the very least. After we dumped everything out, the mall security came and the manager and they took everything piece by piece, price by price, and went through about how much it was. And I, if I remember correctly, I think it's in the 200s. I think it was like $220 worth of stuff that we were caught with. Yeah. But instead of arresting us or giving us a ticket or a fine, they gave us a one-year ban from the mall and a police escort to the parking lot. Which, like, first of all, how do they even regulate that? Like, you're going to have a guy sit in an office somewhere watching the cameras for our faces, but whatever. I'm just glad I didn't have to go to jail. It was so stupid and not worth the possibility of going to jail. That wasn't the end of my time with this person, though. Going back to the I-need-this-person-in-my-life headspace I had, our friendship wasn't healthy. Anyone on the outside could see that. People told me that. But to reiterate, I didn't care. Despite the manipulation, there was never a time where I didn't feel safe around this person, even in the bad times. Until suddenly I didn't. I've struggled with anxiety for many years. We'll go more into detail on that on a different episode, but I've gone through phases of it. So like picking at my face in the mirror, pulling my hair out in chunks, biting the inside of my cheeks. Having to be on the road in bad weather is something that's always triggered my anxiety. There was severe weather in this particular area. It's Texas, so of course, but this person and I were riding in a school bus as it had started to hail. The wind picked up. We were in a tornado watch. The bus had to pull over on the side of the road. So some really bad weather. I started to panic. I was crying. I was shaking. I couldn't get a hold of my breath. This person started to scream at me, angry that I even dared to be dramatic like this. When I couldn't calm down, they raised their hand and smacked it across my face. I remember feeling frozen. Things were never the same between us after that, and I knew in that moment that I was locked into something I didn't know how to leave. So I stayed. I told myself that they were just pissed off at me. I had brought it on myself. I deserved it. The worse off things became the more I clung on to this person. No one could even bring up the possibility of a life without them because I wouldn't hear it. I didn't want to hear it. I convinced myself that I was not going to be able to live without them. I finally reached my breaking point after an argument that got way out of hand. They wanted to go to this party and drive home drunk. The excuse was that they thought they were an excellent drunk driver. No such thing. That makes me think of The Hangover when Bradley Cooper's character is like, I'm an excellent drunk driver. <laughs> Anyways, I told them that they needed to either 
bring me as their designated driver or not go at all. Because I don't think Uber or Lyft was like a big thing back then, or at least I don't think I heard about it. Driving drunk wasn't an option and I told them that. How the fuck are you going to try and tell me what to do with my life? You wouldn't be anything without me, remember? I can do whatever the fuck I want. I staged a protest. I refused to get out of the passenger seat of their car. I was holding a silent protest while they turned ballistic. They tried pulling me out of the seat by my arm. When that didn't work, they dug their nails into my skin, hoping I'd call uncle. And then they took hold of my hair, yanking me and hitting me. I fucking hate you. You're a bad friend. This is why no one wants you. You're ruining my fucking life. I watched them lose complete control. They took their Route 44 drink, which is the biggest drink you can get from Sonic. It's a Starbucks venti on steroids. They took their Coke and poured it all over me from head to toe as I was sitting in their seat. So really, like, You just ruined your seats, but... And then they slung the cup into the yard and looked at me with such victory. Such a pure look of satisfaction in their eyes. They had won. Because they always won, right? I had this overwhelming sense of knowing. I knew I had to leave. I knew our friendship was over. I knew I had finally reached that point of no return. I knew. They never owned up to doing any of that, and we never recovered. It was for the best, for sure. I had to start over. I had no friends because I pushed them all away. I ran away from home to live with this person. So my family and I weren't on the best terms either, especially after I was stealing cigarettes from my mom. I had to apologize to everyone, and not just, I'm sorry. Real apologies. Basically, from the ground up, I rebuilt everything around me, all to just have it come tumbling down on me again. When I ran away from home to live with that person. I met this really nice and sweet person. Some lessons you really, really have to learn like eight times. (laughs) We're going to call this person Voldemort. Voldemort was a witness to the falling out of me and that person. I had dropped out of school three times already, but decided after having my life fall apart on me, that I deserved better and would go get better. For my senior year of high school, Voldemort offered to let me live with them and their family. This brought to life my fantasy. I had this idea of what families were supposed to be like, because I thought my family was broken and damaged, and my dad was abusive, and my mom could never get back up on her feet and my sister and I were my sister and I were fine we were tight but this family filled my idea of what a family was supposed to be like 
Their parents were happily married. Their siblings didn't fight. Their dad didn't throw things. They had family dinners together. They went on road trips. There was no trauma. They were this esteemed Christian household in the community. I thought it would be like playing house. I would take my Barbie doll to their Barbie dolls and we'd all just get along and we'd play and have fun. They were open to letting me stay under some conditions. Conditions that I should have seen and ran away 10 miles in the opposite direction. But despite this list of things to do and be in order to live with them, I wanted to be loved. I have always chased what I considered to be love. I wanted to be loved by what this preconceived idea of what a real family was. So I ignored the red flags, as I tend to do. (laughs) This list consisted of having to go to church. I'll say this now, I have never been a believer, and they knew this, but in order to live with them, I had to try and believe. Fine, whatever. They also wouldn't allow my mom to come to the house. This was a huge cut to my soul and moral compass. Everything was telling me to give them up. My mom means the world to me, and we had just repaired our relationship to the point that we could get along. We weren't always fighting. We actually got along really well. I told myself that being loved by them was worth changing for. It must be worth the sacrifice. Here we are again, trying to change for someone else. I think about it now, and I wonder why being different was so bad. Why did I have to morph to them? They never once thought to change for me. Or why not just not change at all and be okay with people being different than you are? I ended up actually getting a job where I worked on Sundays so I couldn't go to church anymore. Saving grace for me. But to them, it was like I had done the worst thing alive. To understand, you'll have to know, this was a very small town with very small minds. They revolved around churches and religion and were extremely closed off to those who weren't the same. It came off cultish, and honestly, maybe it was. There are a lot of people in that town who do believe it is a cult, so I want to be the first to say that. Um, Voldemort's family was so involved with the cult-like nature and with the school. To align everything with what we learned last week, I met Collins during this time. He was the only person I felt like I could be truly authentic with a thousand percent of the time. And like I said last week, he made it so known to me that I didn't have to shapeshift myself for him to love me. His love and acceptance and friendship helped me start to see that I shouldn't have to shapeshift myself for anyone, including them. If it weren't for him, I don't know if I would have seen that. I would have just kept on going. Voldemort had just had a breakup. They were feeling sad a lot of the time. They became really self-deprecating. They started saying, 
I'm going to go kill myself in conversation. This freaked me the fuck out. It may have been that I wasn't good at picking up on social cues or maybe just because I didn't find the joke funny, but I thought they were serious. After all of my own personal struggles with depression and suicidal ideations, the thought of Voldemort saying that really got to me. This is going to be another example of how I needed to learn to speak up. (laughs) After rehearsal one day, I was sitting in the parking lot waiting for Collins to get out of football practice. Voldemort's words started to replay over and over and over in my head as I sat there by myself. I felt in my soul that this was serious and that I had to do something about it. And that was enough to push me to do what I did next. I knew for a fact that my best option was to go to Voldemort's family, express my concern, and hope that they would take care of it. The thought of having to confront them with this made me sick to my stomach. I wasn't comfortable with them. I wasn't comfortable with Voldemort. In a way, it felt like it wasn't my place to say anything. But I knew that I still had to do something about it. Our school had this giant banner posted all around campus. It was in the hallway. I think it might have been in the cafeteria. It may even have been outside. It was for students to send in anonymous tips and concerns. So like bullying, teachers, sexual harassment, anything that someone might be too afraid to say out loud in person. And this town has had a lot of suicides. It has an outrageous amount of children take their own lives before they even get to graduate high school. I took this really seriously, and like I said, I didn't want to be the one to find Voldemort on their bedroom floor dead. I did not want that. So, instead of calling their parents or going to their house that night and talking with their parents... I placed an anonymous tip. Within minutes, my poor and ugly and old (laughs) RAV4 was surrounded by cop cars. They had found out that I placed the tip within minutes of sending it in. That really goes to show you just how anonymous those things are. There was a big confrontation involving teachers at the school and Voldemort's family. Voldemort did admit to saying that, but only as a joke. But even with the truth coming to light, the family seemed to suddenly turn on me. That amount of attention made them look bad. Voldemort and I got into this this huge argument afterwards where they got within three inches of my face and screamed, I don't want you here anymore. Rules got stricter, our phones were taken up at a certain time at night, there was a curfew in place. They hounded at me for texting my mom because they were supposed to be my family now, not her. You could cut the tension in the house with a plastic knife. You could cut that tension with a breath of air. It was horrible. Until one night, 
when they sat me down and told me they were evicting me. The next morning, an eviction notice was posted to my bedroom door. I had less than two weeks to be out, and they banned any of my family members from coming to help me. By their idea of things, I would have no choice but to go back to Texas. Those raging abandonment issues sparked up in me again. I felt responsible. Like if I had just gone to their parents about the suicidal thoughts, it could have all been avoided. I fucked everything up again. I chose wrong even when I knew better. I hated myself for the chaos that I felt I had caused. I was losing another family again. I was losing friends again because I fucked up. The morning I left, they told me they hoped I would be loved one day and then had the audacity to pray for me. They tried everything to get me out of that town. Everything. They tried to kick me out of the fall musical. They banned me from school trips. They had me banned from theater for the rest of the school year. I couldn't audition for any other shows. We know that theater has always been my constant, my safe place. I didn't have it anymore because they took that away from me. They broke apart my friendships, my relationship. They told everyone I was a compulsive liar. And you know, maybe they're right. Maybe I am the bad guy in their story. Maybe that is their truth and what they believe to be true. And the way they choose to protect themselves is by trying to clear their name by shitting on mine. Fine by me. They can do whatever they want with my name because every part of my soul knows the truth. I know my truth. And I'm not afraid to speak mine either. Putting in that tip, though it was a huge mistake, was not to blame for the downfall. In fact, it was bound to happen at some point or another. It was the last time I would ever change myself to meet a standard for someone else, even if that meant I wouldn't gain their love. I didn't end up having to leave that year. My mom and I found an apartment that I lived in by myself for the rest of the school year. I know, right? It's so weird. I was a senior in high school living in my own little place. And it, when I say it was little, it was so little. <laughs> it was tiny, and but I didn't need something huge. I just needed a place to sleep and eat and go pee and take a shower. This is where Colin's family helped so much. They furnished that apartment for me. Everything from the mattress to the utensils. They made sure I had food, that I wasn't going to starve. It showed me the true colors of so many beautiful people. They did it out of love. That's the real love I should have been chasing. From my mom to Colin's family. That's love. They show you love no matter who or what you are, whether you're a Christian, an atheist, a Republican, a Democrat, a, it doesn't matter, a furry, they would still love you anyways. Voldemort's family ruined a lot. They took a lot from me. I wasn't going to let them take what I came there to get in the first place. Coming back from that was tremendous. In a time where I had nothing, 
It seemed like I would never get back again. But I found a friend. Again, and this time, she was much different. I felt like for a while that I might have to be someone specific for this friend, like with the others. But just like Collins did, she made sure that I knew I could be myself. There was no expectation. I'm going to cry. <laughs> Her name is Hannah Bielby, and she's still one of my closest and most beautiful friends I've ever had. I was thinking the other night that she would have to be one of the best friends I think I've ever had in my life. We could laugh and joke together, but also have really hard conversations about the state of our mental health or existential dread or senior year just, like, weighing on us. She loved me. Her family loved me and showed me love. Small little gestures of love, like her mom making me a peanut butter and jelly for lunch or her dad fixing the AC in my car. Hannah never seemed swayed one way or another with the nature of the people around us or what they had to say about me based on someone else's opinion. She formed her own opinion because she's intelligent and driven. We marched and marched for our lives together. We had sleepovers. We ate lunch together. We went to prom together. She was exactly the friend I needed at that place in my life because it was just a clean slate. I didn't feel the need to cling to her or depend on her or change myself for her. Brad, Linda, Hannah, I love you so much. Thank you. I did, in fact, end up graduating. Finally. (sighs) My choices and friends have become so much healthier since then. It took a little bit to learn the lesson, but I think now it's ingrained in me. And even though these episodes can be hard to get through for me, I always like to leave on a positive note. So, just to show you how much life changes, here's some friends I have now. Josh, who also went to that school at the same time as I did. We both had a really rough time. He writes with me. He sings with me. He laughs with me. He picks up the phone at 11 p.m. to listen to me cry for an hour and a half. Josh loves me for who I am, and I love him right back for all that he is and all he will ever be. Josh, I love you. Emma, who came out of literally nowhere, but has been one of the best relationships I've formed in the past year of my life. She's smart and intuitive and beautiful, and she's always there for me. I love you. Michael Ball, I listen to Rex Orange County anytime I miss you and your laugh. Emmy Award winning Shelby Dorshow, who who I actually used to bully and still stuck around. We'll talk about that when I interview her on here because she's going to be on here. And guess what, guys? Remember how I was talking about my coworkers I wanted to be friends with? Well, I did it. I made friends. Look at me. Amanda, who is brilliant and caring without borders. Elena, 
who has such a strong sense of herself and will always lend you a smile. And Shannon, who I was so fucking intimidated by, but I love with every piece of my heart now. She's charismatic and driven and will always find the life for you. I love them all so much. I feel for the first time in a really long time that I actually have a solid standing group around me. I guess you could say that I've made some good choices that led me to some good friends. Oh my god, I hate that. (laughs) Why do I, and everyone I love, pick people who treat us like we're nothing? We accept the love we think we deserve. Stephen Chbosky, The Perks of Being a Wallflower.